well met. The name's Sarah, and you're listening to Critical Catastrophe, a tabletop role-playing game talk show with an emphasis on Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Today, I'll be talking about devils and demons as they pertain to D&D 5th edition and how I learned to embrace canonical D&D lore to improve my homebrew campaign. This topic is very specific to D&D, but it can also be applied to any system that has its own built-in lore or history. By the end of this episode, you will definitely know the difference between devils and demons and why established lore matters and how you might be able to use it in your own campaign if it fits. Somehow, without intending to, I accidentally made devils and demons a core theme of my first and so far only campaign. From the beginning, I hadn't really thought that that would be what happened. I didn't expect devils and demons to be such a central aspect of my game. But I definitely understand how I got here. It all started around session three or five, where the party met Milva. Milva was kind of an elderly mage and a bit of a crazy goat lady. They stumbled upon her cottage, met her, and she was desperate to find her lost goats. Very, very desperate. Being a helpful party, they discovered that the goats had been stolen by nearby kobolds. They bartered with the kobolds to get the goats back, and it turned out that this woman had been cursed to uh, sacrifice people, basically, and that her way of coping with this was instead to sacrifice goats, which is why she so desperately needed these goats back. There was some kind of demonic influence that had corrupted her in this way and cursed her. The word demonic here is very important, as it'll be relevant later. But at the time, I used the term demons and demonic in a very generic sense, unrelated to actual demons uh, as they are known in D&D. She specifically had a journal that kind of chronicled her spiral from a stable individual to someone who was under this demonic influence, and it very specifically used those words, demons. This whole scenario was meant to be a one-off kind of Monster of the Week type session, but it actually ended up becoming the foundation for the campaign's BBEG, the main villain. I decided that Milva had been cursed by a chaotic evil warlock whose mission was to sow chaos throughout all the lands in every way possible because that's what he was doing. Why not? And at this point, I really didn't have a ton of specifics in mind about this big bad evil guy, but I knew that he was behind the party's main mission to investigate the strange happenings at the country's border. In session one, the king of this homebrew, homemade realm had uh, handpicked these party members to go investigate some uh, strangeness at the border. So by session five or so, I had decided that, yeah, this evil warlock would be behind whatever was happening there. But what I didn't know at the time is that this big bad evil guy, his name's Ralvius, we'll just keep calling him Ralvius going forward, that Ralvius would be taking the side of demons from the abyss and that this would actually be the cornerstone to a much bigger story. As it turns out, I really didn't know a whole lot um, about much of anything when I first started out, and really just had this loose idea for a plot that became uh, more and more just kind of out there with this Ralvius character going about doing stuff in the background for years, decades, really. And this this whole thing with Milva, the, the goat lady that they managed to save and get a restoration spell for, was really early into the campaign. I was just kind of making things up as I went along, which I'm still doing to this day, 
almost three years later. So being early into the campaign, uh, you know, we were all kind of getting a feel for things. And one of my players, who happens to be my partner, her name is Fran, she hadn't played any D&D ever. I had at least played some 3.5 and Pathfinder, so I understood how the game worked. And, you know, she was kind of nervous about playing, but pretty quickly got comfortable with it, was hooked, loved the game, and just wanted kind of more ways of consuming D&D material outside of the game. This is all relevant, I promise. Over time, she started forming this uh, incredibly well-thought-out backstory that was inspired by having read lore, canonical lore of Dungeons and Dragons, um, you know, from the, the source books and the rule books. But she was also inspired by a series of novels by Aaron M. Evans, and they were called Brimstone Angels. If that name sounds familiar to you, but you're not quite sure why, it's probably because that excerpts from the official Dragonborn race page and the Tiefling race page came from her books. If you go open your player handbook or uh, D&D Beyond, wherever you go to look at that information, you'll see the excerpts and she is credited and it's from the Brimstone Angels novels. Those books are rich with lore and Erin M. Evans, she was inspired to write those books because she loved playing Dungeons and Dragons and I think it might have been 3.5 at the time when she was playing. And so she put a lot of love into the details of her world and how it made sense in like the mechanical sense of Dungeons and Dragons, which is really interesting and definitely fueled I think Fran's imagination as she crafted this backstory, kind of based on some of the plot lines in those books. So the backstory for her character, a tiefling, centered around um, her having fled an evil cult as a child. That cult worshipped Asmodeus, the lord of the Nine Hells, and it also sought to make tieflings more like their fiendish heritage through some really evil, heinous uh, acts. So her character fled this cult as a child, never looked back, and tried to, you know, bury that identity, but it always kind of haunted her and would eventually come into the campaign to, uh, you know, come to fruition as something she had to face. And this is where devils actually came into play in my campaign. This is the reason they came into play, and then they just kind of stuck around. This is also where I started to care about what made devils and demons different in D&D because they are quite different. Initially, though, I didn't care about D&D lore at all. For me, it was just a system. The mechanics of it were a system for my own homebrew story and world. Like many new dungeon masters at the time, you know, I was given that great advice to uh, use a one-shot or a pre-made module, something out of the books, to start DMing and get a feel for it. I took that advice and I tossed it in the trash and just kind of ignored it. You know, I, I thought about it for sure. It came from uh, a friend of mine. It came from the internet at large. It was good advice and I agree with that advice still, but I ignored it and decided to do my own thing. Created my own little homebrew continent and my own little very vague, loose storyline of go to the border and find out what's wrong because I don't know what I'm doing. When I started this, I didn't think that it would last very long. I intended it to be a kind of short campaign, this is what I told my players, where we just got to try out D&D again using 5th edition and I wanted to try DMing. Previous games in the past hadn't lasted very long, so I didn't really expect this one to either. I thought we would get maybe to the end of what I had planned at the border, and that would be how the campaign wraps up, they solve whatever mystery that was, and yeah, that would be it. Three years later, yeah, they got to the border, but that doesn't even matter anymore. 
So anyway, where was I? I was talking about something. That these mechanics were just for me to build my homebrew world in. But one day, you know, long after that quest to save Milva and get her restoration spell, my partner asked me why I had put imps and spine devils outside the abandoned tower. This was a tower they went into to find uh, some diamonds so that they could get the component they needed for the local cleric to cast restoration on Milva. They went to this abandoned tower, and outside of it, there was a couple imps, a couple spine devils, and I put them there because I looked at the stat blocks, I thought they looked fun, and that is why they were there. There was no particular motive, they didn't have a reason to be there other than I wanted them to be there, and I didn't really know what made devils devils other than that they're evil little fiends. Yay. But as Fran and I are taking this uh, walk around our apartment complex, and she's asking me just kind of like, hey, why did... Why did we fight devils there? Because, you know, she was really getting into the lore of devils and demons and fleshing out her cult and her cult, <laughs> her, her character's cult and her backstory. Fran is not part of a cult. And, um, you know, so she kind of had a much better uh, view and understanding of these mechanics and this lore about devils and demons than I did then or even at the point we were having that conversation. Of course, my answer to her was basically just like, yeah, I put them there because I wanted to. There wasn't any real reason. As we made our laps around the apartment building, she explained to me, based on canonical lore, how devils and demons worked, how the abyss and the nine hells worked, how all these planes created this kind of orderly uh, universe and rules for the world to work by. And at that time, I was quite stubborn, quite resistant. I didn't really care. I didn't care a whole lot about that established lore. I didn't think it applied to my campaign or my world. Like, maybe the Nine Hells and the Abyss don't even exist in my world, even though they are canonical planes that exist in the D&D universe. My setting doesn't necessarily follow that. That's true. Like, I am right to think that. And if you have a uh, completely homebrew setting that is separate from those lore tidbits and you don't care about those planes or why devils and demons are different, that's still okay. That is your prerogative and you have, you know, whatever world you want to build. Like, that, that is fine. And I'm not going to say that it isn't or that you shouldn't do that because that's not really what this topic is about. But I definitely approached it in a very closed-minded uh, way where I just basically just said I, I don't care. I mean, that's cool information, but I don't care. Unfortunately, though, when I created my little campaign in my world, I didn't add to it the level of depth that uh, some people actually really do put into their worlds, especially compared to the amount of information and lore that's available in Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition. It was very sparse. It didn't have it didn't have much like structure or bones to it. It was just very loosey goosey. Stuff's happening for no particular reason other than we just need a story to play through. Even though I was initially resistant, I eventually realized how I wanted to incorporate Fran's backstory, her character's backstory. I realized how I wanted it to tie into this uh, BBEG, Ralvius, and their plans to cause chaos. Ralvius was all about the chaos, and Fran's cult, being worshippers of Asmodeus, being lawful evil, they were all about that lawful evil order. Slowly, gradually, things fell into place. I learned more and more about existing lore and how the universe, the canonical D&D &D universe, works. 
I knew Ralvius needed a patron, and so I pulled Zargon, this incredibly evil entity, from a previous edition of D&D, and I kind of used his concept to fit my needs. It just kind of filled that question mark void of what is Ralvius doing and why is he doing it. So I, I had that taken from a different edition, and I had Ralvius infiltrate the Asmodean cult. Uh, they're called the Octoroth, and he manipulated them to spread chaos, tying this character's backstory into the campaign's main thread of Ralvius messing shit up. <laughs> I had slowly realized that I wanted and needed the Abyss and the Nine Hells, and that Zargon wanted to reclaim them both, and that Ralvius was his champion. I realized that the Octoroth were a tool to be used and thrown away by the Big Bad, and that uh, another player, he had a half-orc paladin, that his village was conveniently located between this power struggle of the Octoroth versus orcs. Orcs that Ralvius had set into motion to oppose the Octoroth, because Ralvius is trying to take down all sense of order. So he's taking these orcs that are usually pretty nomadic and in their separate little groups, and he's banding them together in an army, while simultaneously trying to manipulate the Octoroth into going to war with them to take over more land for their cult. And in the middle of it is this half-orc paladin's little village, just kind of minding their own business. And they're, you know, in the way of that warpath. So I've now tied in another character's backstory to this main thread. Back to Demons and Devils, Ralvius and the Octoroth. It all came together so neatly because the chaotic evil of the demon-aligned Ralvius was a perfect contrast to the neat, lawful evil of the Octoroth arc. It just played perfectly into the climax of the arc, and would carry the story forward as demons became more and more central to the plot. I feel that I was able to create more depth and structure within my own world by leveraging how the D&D universe like, innately works, and it was a long journey getting to that point from where I was not caring to... Uh, that point where I am actively looking for interesting ways to use the lore to my advantage. And I think my campaign is better for it. It was definitely a journey of self-growth as a DM. And part of that is because, like I said, when I created my campaign in my world, it was very bare, it was very loose, it was just kind of some ideas cobbled together. If you have a homebrew world where you have put your heart and soul into it, you might already have so many of these uh, so many of these structures and frameworks that create that depth. Like, you might have already built that and don't need the D&D lore. And that is cool. Like, that is fine. Good job. I did not do that. So having that D&D lore available to me, being able to pull from it and add depth to my world in kind of a plug-and-play way creates, I think, a much more satisfying experience for my party, even if they aren't, like, consciously aware of it. It's like when you see a good quality piece of art, and you don't really know what makes it good, but you just look at it and you're like, yeah, that is a really nice piece of art. And then you look at maybe some very amateurish art, and you realize that it needs some work. I needed some work. All of that story time was to provide some context for the, the main point of this episode. And part of that main point is to explain what is the difference between devils and demons some of you might already know this if you've read some of the books or if you've really examined the stat blocks, but I suspect a number of people actually haven't given it much thought 
And if you're at all like me, when I first began, I wasn't even aware that there was a difference to acknowledge. And that's not to say that anyone has to care or follow that difference, but just the fact that it exists is something worth knowing, so then you can make up your own mind if you want to use it or not. The big picture is that devils and demons are both a type of fiend. Fiend is a creature type that has multiple different subtypes, and the two main ones are devils and demons. If you look at stat blocks, you will see that they are distinguished. For example, the imp is a devil, and the abyssal chicken is a a demon. Both are fiends. Let's start with devils. Devils are lawful evil, and they come from the Nine Hells. The Nine Hells is a plane canon to the D&D universe. It's got basically the nine layers of hell in a fantasy version, and uh, it's evil, yo. Demons, on the other hand, are chaotic evil, and they come from the abyss. The Hells have orderly layers, and the Abyss is just this ever-changing hodgepodge of chaos and tunnels and pits and evil, and it makes no sense whatsoever. So, to recap, Devils are lawful evil, and they're very orderly, and they come from the Nine Hells. Demons are pure chaos, they're evil, and they come from the Abyss. Initially, I struggled to remember this, one, because I didn't think I cared, and two, because, I don't know, my brain just struggled with it for a little while. I eventually sorted it out, obviously, here I am. And I think part of the reason is, in the English language, we use devil and demon interchangeably. You might be battling your demons, and there's a devil on your shoulder. Demons and devils are both evil creatures that come from some kind of hellish landscape. Meanwhile, the Abyss and the Nine Hells are basically the same at a glance. They're just these horrible, horrible hellscapes of demonic terror, evil places that are hard to understand. So I can see why it's easy to get them mixed up. It's easy to uh, kind of forget that they're different. And I bring this up in particular because I know throughout the past uh, year or so, my party has struggled with remembering why they're different or what makes them different, even as recently as our last session. And so I thought I would just touch on this topic as an interesting talking point, because it's it's interesting to me how devils and demons are different and how it's become such an integral part of the campaign in a way. And I realize there's probably a lot of people out there, newer DMs or players, who just don't even know to think about it. But the difference between devils and demons is so much more than just where they come from or their alignments. But their alignments and where they come from are kind of the foundation of why they are so different. Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes is a rulebook that is, uh, gives a lot of context around devils and demons, a lot of history and lore, and the first chapter goes over this endless blood war that puts all of the planes at risk. Devils and demons have conflicting goals. It is law versus chaos. And the blood war is this cosmic struggle between the demonic invading forces of the abyss and the cunning devils of the nine hells. Demons abyss, devils nine hells. 
that chapter one goes into the different viewpoints and goals of devils versus demons. I'm going to read just a couple little excerpts to help uh, highlight what those points are, although personally I think they put a little more love into the devilish point of view, which I guess makes sense if really demons only have chaos going for them. So here's the excerpt of the devilish point of view from chapter one of Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. The devils fight as a matter of pride mixed with burning resentment for a cosmic order that refuses to acknowledge their role as overseers of the multiverse. To the devil's way of thinking, the nine hells are the front line in the demon's war against all of creation, and the fate of the cosmos depends on the devil's ability to blunt the invasion and send the demons back to the abyss. In short, the devils think of themselves as this high and mighty force that is protecting all of the planes, all of the universe, from this inevitable invasion of demons into the rest of the world that will just destroy everything. So they, they're doing us a favor. They are protecting the entire cosmos. Great job, guys. The demonic point of view is something like this. To the demons that have intelligence enough to appreciate their role in it, the blood war offers an endless source of diversion, underscored by resentment of a cosmic order that refuses to admit their superiority. The demons invade Avernus because it is easily accessible from the Abyss. But even if that were not the case, the Nine Hells would still be the demons' prime target. If the demons set out a large force to invade a different plane, this theory holds the devils would be able to marshal allies from across all the planes to rise up against the Abyss and end its threat forever. Therefore, the demons assault the Nine Hells over and over, not only because it is the greatest threat to their dominion, but also because striking in force anywhere else would play into the devil's hands. So we can see that the demons from the abyss, with their chaotic evil nature, are constantly going to the first layer of the Nine Hells, and that layer is called Avernus. And they're going there in an attempt to overwhelm the Hells and, you know, kind of permanently put an end to their opposition, the one thing that is holding them back from consuming the universe and destroying everything. Meanwhile, the devils are constantly, you know, trying to bolster their own forces to protect the cosmos from this invasion, and it's just this endless blood war, this endless struggle of these two forces never really being able to best each other. But if either one of them were to fall or to be weakened enough by some other influence, one of them would reign supreme, and it would be terrible for everyone else in the universe. These two opposing forces create this balance. It's a very tenuous balance, and there are people throughout history that make sure that that balance is maintained, that no force is weakened enough by some other influence like celestials or whatever, what have you. And that way, no side ever wins. So it's just kind of this thing that exists and people deal with, and for the most part, it's not going to affect mortals too much. I mean, there's occasionally the uh, the outburst of war up on the material plane, and then that dies down and things are fine again. Of course, Mordenkainen, the, uh, the character featured in this book, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, is one of those uh, people who are helping to maintain that balance, and that's kind of his big shtick. At one point, I didn't know any of that, I didn't care about any of that, and I didn't even know 
to think that that could exist. Like it was just so off my radar because I was doing my own thing. You know, I, I could easily have just taken devils and demons and put them together on the same team against the uh, party and just kind of use them as fodder for no reason other than that they had fun stat blocks. And again, if that is what you are doing, if that is what you want to do, go for it. That is up to you. That is your story. That is your game. But knowing what I know now, I think it's a little more interesting to kind of pull from that history, that lore, the uh, way that things work intuitively, innately, and use it to my advantage to create depth and kind of satisfying patterns. D&D consists of these layered systems that are working together, and I don't just mean like combat mechanics. For example, in our reality, we have gravity, and we know how gravity works, and we know that physics are a thing, and we know that the sun will rise in the morning, and at night we will get the moon. We know these things fairly intuitively, we count on them, and we can make decisions based on that information. Even if we don't necessarily understand why they work the way they work, we know that they are laws of the universe. That is what we are trying to establish in our in our fantasy worlds, in our Dungeons and Dragons games, is having these cohesive patterns for the players to pick up on and be able to make predictions from. Things that they'll just intuitively understand because they are consistent and they make sense as a universal law in the game. Devils and demons are just one example of that. If the players have learned that devils are uh, conniving, evil, lawful creatures that value order and contracts, they'll know to be on their toes and be wary of being deceived by them. And they'll also know that they can uh, communicate with them, they can work with them, and they can maybe come to an agreement even though they are evil. Meanwhile, if they're aware that demons are just chaos mongers that want to destroy everything, they might just go in swinging their swords and hammers and shooting their bows and just not even bother with any kind of discussion because they know that they're horrible, evil creatures. Likewise, I think the Fae is another example of this, not in the sense of, like, evil, but um, there's different types of Fae. I want to say D&D implements the Seely and Unseely Quartz, if I'm saying that correctly, and there, I think there's some kind of queen. See, I don't know enough about the Fae, but I could look into it and build a Fae campaign loosely based on some of that basic lore. Basically, what I'm trying to say is, let some of that established lore do the hard work for you. It can help you define motivations and behaviors, and it can give your players a more satisfying experience if, if you don't already have this crafted on your own. If you have taken the time to craft an incredible world full of depth and structure and universal laws, then you don't really need this lore. You can definitely, uh, you know, as you are starting your world building, if you are thinking about crafting a homebrew universe, you can definitely pull from all these sources, any tabletop role-playing game, any source of media, your favorite book series, anything that has a kind of hard system. You can pull from that to learn how to build uh, these universal laws, learn how to build things that are cohesive and make sense and are consistent for your players to expect. It's like you, you learn how to write better by reading more. You learn how to build a better world and better systems by absorbing ones that work. Ultimately, I think there's some value in understanding the way D&D works from a lore perspective, even if you're not going to really use that in your own homebrew campaigns, that's fine. It just adds a layer of depth and gives you some experience, especially if you're new to it. 
Like where I am now, it's hard to imagine that I didn't know the difference between devils and demons. And it's going to be hard for me to separate that if I ever want to just ignore that fact, um, which is maybe a downfall of getting too invested in the canonical lore. Hopefully that doesn't hamper creativity. That's not what we want to do. We just want to bolster creativity and bolster our worlds. And I like the word bolster. So thank you all for taking the time to listen to this ramble. I hope you were able to get something out of it, either about devils and demons or about lore in general. I tried to create some kind of purpose and message for this rant. And uh, I know some of my players listen to this podcast, and this is not a call to action that you, uh, you know, commit devils and demons to rote memorization. But I hope you, having listened to this, can understand why I implement them as two different entities and why it matters at a campaign level. Even if it's a little difficult to remember, that's okay. Maybe take some notes while you're here. But if you are listening, uh, whether you're a player or just someone out on the internet, thank you so much. If you would like to uh, participate in Critical Catastrophe in any way, either as a party chat guest where we can just have a conversation about things like this kind of lore, or if you want to participate as an interview guest and promote your projects, you are welcome to reach out. You can find me on Twitter at CritCatastrophe. I'm always available on my website, criticalcatastrophe.com, and you're welcome to leave a voice message on Anchor if you have something to share or just want to uh, suggest a topic of discussion. Thanks again for listening. Have a lovely day, and remember, the dice don't run the table.